Julia, you are not on Twitter the way that I am. I'm on it constantly. No, I just I yell like at tweet. companies on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, and I could totally see that. I discovered this woman, journalist, Sophie Vershbo, who her one of her tweets came across my page. I said, oh, this woman seems awesome. She likes dogs the way that I like dogs. She also has a really cute dog, Simon. And she writes a lot about pet issues, uh, even though she's written about all different types of mental health, gender, societal issues. She's kind of gone to the pet journalism space. And I'm just really excited to chat with her to talk about her journey of how she kind of transitioned into that world, but obviously, too to talk about her love, pride, and joy, Simon. Naturally. This is awesome, Anya. I'm excited. Forgot. <laughs> I forgot about the countdown on the screen. <laughs> so I, I would love if you could just give our audience a little bit of background into who you are and before Upper West Simon. <laughs> Yes. Hi. Uh, excited to be here. Um, so I um, I am a senior social media marketer at uh, marketing strategist at Eventbrite is my full-time job. I work in marketing and then I am a freelance writer on the side. I've written for a lot of places on a lot of things, but over the past year and a half, I've started writing pretty heavily about pets and pet-related issues, which has been really fun. I live in New York City with my dog. I grew up here. And yeah, that's my my little bio. <laughs> and I feel and, like we should oh, sorry, clarify. Well, I was going to say like she's you've written for like big publications, Newsweek, Vogue, <laughs> the New York Times, not like, you know, just a blog, <laughs> you <laughs> know, some random blog. Like you've written for legit publications and you wrote you've written a lot about social issues, gender inequality. How did you end up going into the pet space? Yeah. So it's really funny. I sort of joke that I like manifested it into the universe just by being obsessed with dogs as my genuine personality. So I did not grow up with dogs, which surprises a lot of people. Um, I had cats growing up. I really didn't care about them. Like, oh, great. You know, dogs are cute, not a sociopath. But it wasn't until my 20s, I had a boyfriend in my 20s who had a dog and we dated for a long time and I fell in love with that dog. And when we broke up, I became dog crazy because I all of a sudden just realized what having them in my life meant to me. And ever since then, I, I think I just started posting online a lot about dogs and pictures of dogs. I started fostering and started talking a lot about dog rescue. And I sort of feel like by putting all that out there, um, some of the editors I had worked with uh, started noticing that. And I started getting some writing opportunities uh, related to pets. And in terms of the types of you know, stories you were writing about, the topics you were covering, like give us a couple examples. Maybe what were some of those you know, article titles or what were some of the topics that you were especially interested in sort of, uh, we'll say pre-dog era? Oh yeah. I'm like pulling up my website. I'm like, what have I written about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm super it's like no big in- deal. I just have so many articles. I got to quickly look them up on my website. <laughs> 
You know, it is really funny that that you said that about my, my bylines at the beginning, which thank you for making me say them out loud. I feel like I still have not fully accepted that like I'm, I'm a writer. I'm allowed to call myself a writer. It's it's legitimate. Um, I didn't go to journalism school. I really, I sort of came about in the like exo Jane spill your trauma on the internet for $50 way in. Like quite literally, I think they titled my first uh, essay I ever published, Zumba Cured My Eating Disorder, which like, oh my God. that's not on my website. <laughs> <laughs> I I very much relate to uh, to that because I, I started off in writing. I wrote for The Guardian, ESPN, but before I got into those publications, I was like writing for any publication that would <laughs> let me write for them. And I, when I look back, I'm like, oh my God, I spent hours on that piece and they paid me $25 or whatever. You're like, but they were words that were, at least somebody was reading them. Oh my God. I thought I I had like three articles published in Bustle and I thought that I was quite literally famous. Like it was the most exciting (laughs) thing that ever happened to me. Um, but yeah, so I, I was like still shocked every time. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I wrote for those places. Um, okay. So I, I write a lot about mental health issues. Um, I've written, um, I have a history with, with depression and eating disorders and I'm, I'm really open about it and write about it on the internet. I've written things around how, um, eating issues are portrayed in society. So like I wrote about Bridget Jones's diary and about how wild it was to rewatch that as a 30 something woman and realize how not overweight she is and how we think about her. Um, I wrote about parallel play, which is an interaction style um, in adult relationships for the New York Times. So I'm really sort of curious in um, mental health and psych issues and sort of how they relate on a very day to day level with people. And I, I'm very curious about how uh, dogs affect mental health in humans. I'm just, I've been very overwhelmed, like by my own, just realizing how happy it makes me. Um, and so I'm very passionate about sort of like spreading that to people. <laughs> and what was the first piece that you did write about animals or dogs that you, that was published? I Thing. So I, I wrote um, some sort of like more sponsored content for a website called, I think, like Great Pet Care. Um, you know, the kind of thing where you're, you're working with a, a product partner. It's not really free flowing, but that was really great practice. And actually, I've sort of made it my business to take on more of those small writing gigs um, like throughout my career because I think there's such great practice for getting better for the big hits you're really excited about. Um, but I think the first thing I really wrote about was uh, the Biden's dogs coming into the White House after he won in 2020, because Trump was the first president in 100 years not to have a pet at the White House, um, I think specifically a dog. And I, I was very excited that the Biden dogs were coming into the White House. So <laughs> that's what I was doing, like, you know, while losing my mind that week was writing a piece that would hopefully go live when it was confirmed that he won. <laughs> And what was the reception to to that piece? It was really great. That piece was for Vogue, which was exciting. I, I really love writing for them. Um, I like read Vogue growing up. Um, and it, it was great. That was just such a happy time. And it was really fun to just write about this fun, silly sat thing on the side. Like, I don't know about you guys. I lost my mind that week. Like, was doing yoga with MSNBC on. Um, and so it was really I was fun. one of those people who was like waving at every USPS truck that went by and was like, yeah, 
And like <laughs> most of the drivers were really into it. And some of them were like, oh my God, we've got crazy ladies, crazy ladies oh. in the neighborhood. <laughs> I remember picking up my parents' 50 pound dog on the street and being like, Charlotte, like bouncing <laughs> her body up and down. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I wrote about that for Vogue. And I think that was one of the first ones that I was really excited about. Cause I was like, wait, I can write about this thing I'm also obsessed with. Um, so that, that's just been really, really fun. I just recently got to write for Allure about, um, on TikTok, there's been a lot of sort of controversy around people dyeing their dogs' colors um, and whether or not it's safe. And so that's a perfect example. They came to me to write that piece. It's a perfect example of what I love to do, like write about an internet culture thing, write about pets, um, but sort of do reporting and tie it into actually like, is this safe? Let's talk to people who really know. And before you got to that happy time, you know, that wonderful, <laughs> wonderful day that we're all celebrating, there was a lot of unhappy times mm-hmm. uh, leading up to it. And I'm curious, you know, what was your, because the pandemic was hard for everybody. And I think some people much more challenging than others, but I'd say collectively, we all had a pretty shit time. <laughs> and I'm curious how your relationship with dogs and taking into consideration things like mental health, what did that look like? you know, during those first few months or that, even that first year? Yeah. So dogs were a huge part of how I survived the pandemic. So I am from New York city, as I said, and I'm lucky that my parents still live here. And I went and I moved home with them during the pandemic because I didn't want to be in a dark one bedroom apartment alone. (laughs) Um, And we got our first family dog ever at the end of April, 2020, Um, rescued her from an organization called Looking Glass in Connecticut. Her name's Charlotte. She's wonderful. And that was our first family dog. And my mom always likes to joke that like she's wanted a dog her whole life. We always heard, um, my dad always said it's me or a dog. (laughs) And um, literally like a few weeks into the pandemic, she just randomly called me while I was still living at home and was like, dad says we can get a dog like quick before he changes his mind. Um, And we always say Charlotte's the reason, you know, we all survived, I think, as well as we did. She is, I mean, she's still our everything, but she's a wonderful dog. I just spent time in Nantucket with her while I was on vacation and she, she got us through it. I mean, she, she provided so much just entertainment and so much joy. I remember sort of feeling, especially in those first few months, like every morning I woke up and I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to go see Charlotte. And then everything, you know, continued to be awful, but that little hit of joy every day. Oh my God. I mean, so grateful for that. It, it meant so much. And your dad, did he, is he equally obsessed now with Charlotte? Did it turn into one of those kind of memes that I've seen on the internet where it's like, dad said we couldn't get a dog. And then the dog's just like laying on him and he's buying all this stuff for her. And yes, I mean, literally, <laughs> of course, um, he's, my dog is also obsessed with him. Um, if in Nantucket on vacation last week, they would just both be sitting with him. He, he's very quick to say like, you know, this dog's a lot of work. Like it's annoying sometimes. And then I catch him having the most adorable moment with her. So yeah, he loves that dog. (laughs) (laughs) And you, I read that you started fostering dogs during the pandemic as well. When, how far into the pandemic did you start fostering? And were you fostering at home with your family and, and Charlotte? No. So that, that would have been a little crazy. I actually fostered one time in 2017, I want to say. Um, and that was to be really candid, like a very 
challenging experience. Um, I did not get a dog I felt prepared to take on, like a, a kind of a really challenging dog. And so I had been really wanting to try again, but super wary and working from home give, gave me the opportunity to be able to feel safe doing it and having like the time to commit. So I started in May, 2021. So I had already moved to another apartment on my own and that was part of it. So I moved out of my parents' house in March, 2021. Um, the vaccine was coming out. Like it was just, it was time to be an adult again. Um, and I was just devastated without Charlotte. I was working from home all day. I really wasn't leaving the house. I was just like working through the day and I really wasn't sure if I felt equipped to get my own dog yet. And so fostering felt like a perfect solution. So I started fostering with Hearts and Bones, who's the rescue I got my dog from in May 2021. And what was that second experience like for you as far as fostering? How did it differ from the first time? It was night and day. I um, Hearts and Bones is so supportive. I was super upfront with them about my past experience and hesitations. And I've never had a dog I felt anything other than, you know, equipped to take on. It. I fell in love with fostering. I've only been able to do it once since I got a dog. But I, as soon as the summer's over and things calm down, we're going to do it again. Fostering is the most fulfilling experience I have ever had in my life. I will talk about it to anyone because I don't think people understand what, what this experience is like and how amazing it is. And that most people who might not know, they can foster, they can take it on. These are homeless pets who in most cases don't have anywhere to go. You are a better option, even if you have a life and you are busy. Um, there are so many ways to, to give these dogs another chance. I don't think maybe everyone knows. So just to break it down really quickly, um, a lot of shelters in the North don't have physical shelters. So Simon Shelter, Hearts and Bones, does not have a physical shelter in New York where most of their dogs are adopted. They bring dogs from Texas, which is a high kill rate state. Most dogs come from the South where euthanasia is is allowed and almost a million dogs a year are euthanized um, in the U.S. It's very upsetting. And so they bring the dogs up north and the dogs have to go somewhere before they get adopted. So fosters bring them into their homes because there is no physical shelter. Um, and so you get these dogs like right off a truck from Texas and some of them are just good to go, like no issues. And some of them are really traumatized and being the person who helps usher them through that time and get them ready to be adopted and seeing them thrive in their forever homes after. I mean, it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And I think especially with the world as challenging as it is these days, having a really actionable thing that like you as an individual can do and be in control of and see the impact so directly, I, it's just, it's really, it's really important to me. I've never fostered. And I think something that I was always nervous about was saying, oh, this is temporary and then it's going to go, but then <laughs> not wanting <laughs> to to let the dog go to another family. Is that a common challenge? Or do you think most people who go into fostering sort of like make that, um, they, they, they sort of have that, that perspective going into it. Like the expectation is this is going to be for a short amount of time or do people end up having foster fails? Oh, I mean, people foster fail, fail all the time. Um, I feel like this is probably the most common 
thing that people say to me, people say to me on Twitter all the time, like, how could you leave that dog? And I'm like, okay, well, my job is like to pass the dog along. Um, but yes, it is so unbelievably challenging. I cry every single time. Um, even the dogs that were not my favorite of all of the dogs, you know, I, I cry every single time, but it is your job to pass them on. And I feel like if you go in knowing that saying this is temporary, it, look, you just, you get used to it. I understand from the outside, it's like, how could you? But no, you, it's, it's fine. But my dog is a foster fail. So fostering is great for helping dogs. It's also a really great way to figure out what dog you want permanently. So I fostered, I think, six dogs in 2021. Dogs one through four, I knew I was like, I am fostering. This is just fostering. And I think around giving dog four away, I was like, oh, I'm ready. I've been in this apartment long enough. I feel stable working from home. Like, I am now looking for a dog. So then I moved to like a foster to adopt track, meaning that I had more choice over who I fostered. But it's a really a great way to figure out what what might work for you because you experience a lot of different dogs. And I felt so confident when I picked mine because I knew exactly what I was looking for. And I knew it wasn't like pressure. Like if it didn't work out, I would have just fostered and that would have been okay too. I feel like dating is like fostering uh, stray. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. (laughs) Let's just put him back on on the street afterwards. (laughs) So true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so tell us about Simon though. How, why do you think he became your foster fail? What was it about him where you were like, oh God, I, there's, I can't give this dog back. Like he's my dog. I do feel like I should bring him on camera. At some oh, point. absolutely. We encourage uh, that. <laughs> I'm going to wait till the end because he just got in from the rain. Um, so like I just said, I was ready. So that is the most important thing. Like when people tell me they're like, I spontaneously adopted a dog. I'm like, what? (laughs) How? Like, that's a really big commitment. Um, and so I, I was so ready. And I I think too, like I went in knowing I wanted an adult dog. I knew what my deal breakers were. Like I have, I have chronic migraine. Like I can't have a yappy dog in my apartment all day. It's just not going to happen for me. So like, I, I knew what I wanted. Um, but I just fell in love. So it's so I'm, I'm so cynical about like dating. I'm like, when people say they fall in love at first sight, like they can can we curse? Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, fuck off. Like, that's not, like, come on, you guys. Come on. And I saw one picture of my dog and that was, I mean, I really mean it was it. It was one picture. It wasn't even flattering. It was just not a good, it doesn't even look like Wait, him. you're saying Simon can't, can take an unflattering picture? It might be shocking to everyone. I just, it wasn't a great picture. Just going to be honest. <laughs> And I saw this little stubby legged dog. And I, so I was going out of town and I could not make that foster pickup that weekend. Uh, yeah, that weekend. So I put out a call to all my friends and was like, could anyone get this dog for me? Like, I think he's going to be my dog. And a friend, a old coworker of mine, not even like a super close friend, did the kindest thing anyone's ever done for me and got, she like applied to be a foster just so she could take this dog for 48 hours for me. Um, and I picked him up and that was the end. Like I just had a gut feeling and knew it was going to be my dog. And I, 
that's so gross. Like I hear the words coming out of my mouth, but it's really what happened. Has has he made you less cynical about love now? <laughs> like actually, yes. I'm I'm a radically happier and cheerier person over the past year. Like even last night at my birthday, like the waiter was like, "You seem very excited about things." I'm just like, I get to go home to my dog. Like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> I I had that feeling when I saw my dog and it was, um, and I've told this story a million times on the podcast. So if you've listened to several episodes, I'm sorry, everyone for hearing the same story again. Uh, but I was ready to adopt and I had been looking for a while. And as you know, during the pandemic, though, it could be really challenging to get approved for a dog. And I went to the farmer's market saw this woman. She had my dog with her. And I just was like, oh, your dog is beautiful. What's her name? And uh, that's when she told me that she was fostering her. And she hadn't been made available yet because she hadn't been spayed. So they were getting ready to get her spayed. And then she was going to be put up for adoption. And I just looked down at this dog and like, I just just had this feeling. I just had this feeling. And the next day we did a more formal meet and greet and I told this woman, I was like, I want, I, I want to take her home. It's like, soon as she's ready, I will come pick her up. And she, this was in Charlottesville, Virginia. I was living in D.C. at the time. Um, and the woman called the shelter, said, don't let anyone else see this dog. I found her human. And then two weeks later, she was home with me. And it was, it was very much like, and Julia knows this, like, I, this dog is my world. Like I love her. Every time I walk by her, like my heart swells. I'm like, I love you. I love you. I love you. And it's just like, (laughs) I can't be upset when I'm around her. (laughs) It's so remarkable to me. So as I said, sort of in reference, first of all, that's just so beautiful. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. It makes me so happy. And I want you to understand that like that moment for the foster, the person fostering the dog was also the happiest moment. Like watching these dogs find homes, like that is what makes you able to give them up and not lose your mind because you see them thriving. The right dog going to the right home is the most amazing thing. And ultimately, like I shouldn't have a lot of the dogs I fostered long-term. Um, like they were temporary and they're so happy, like in the mountains now. And, like, yeah. Lives. Um, but I, I referred to in my, a lot of my writing, like I, dealt with like mental health issues. Like I've been on SSRIs for years. I consider myself like a success story, but you know, I, I just to say I have struggled with mental health issues and tried different things to bring joy into my life. And nothing has ever more consistently brought me joy than this dog. And I'm, I'm about to come up on my one year anniversary of getting him. So I've been like very reflective, um, just of, it's not that I expected the joy to wear off, but I didn't think that I could look at him 400 times a day, every day, and just go, ooh, like, <laughs> and just like, feel endorphins course through my bloodstream. It's really quite remarkable. Like, do people know about this? Because, like, it's pretty great. It is great. And if you look at my phone, you go to the photo albums, like, my equivalent of that, of that is, like, I'm going to take a picture of you. I'm going to take a picture of you. And it's, like, 10,000 photos on this phone that can no longer support them, but I don't want to delete them either because each one is special. Oh. He's special. 
yes. And I take the same photo in the same lighting every single day. Every <laughs> day, the living room light at 6 p.m. or whatever is great. So every day I take the same and I'm like, it's so flattering. It's like, well, it was flattering yesterday too. Yeah, I my phone, I was telling Julie, I was like, I think I might need to get a second phone because my data or I have no storage left and it's yep. just pictures of Ruthie. Oh, yeah. The vacation pics got a little out of control because Charlotte and Simon are together, which is when like my heart actually explodes. Like also seeing these two dogs together. Do you guys know that meme that's like Paul Rudd and someone else being like, look at us, look at us. Who would have thought like that is me and my mom with the two dogs like on vacation. We're like, who would have thought the two, like how did we convince your husband, my father, to have these two dogs around. How did, like, we always, we wanted dogs and we couldn't get them now. We have two. It's ridiculous. Do you find, now, I I feel like I am a little bit biased towards my dog for obvious reasons. She's mine. I think she's perfect. Uh, But one thing that I, I feel like I actually do notice is there's something intangible about her that I think is really special. And whenever people walk by her, they smile. Like she makes so many people smile throughout the day. And there are people that I know who aren't really dog people who end up just loving her. Is that the same with Simon? I'm going to get him up here. Simon. <laughs> He's like in his movies. I just feel like he needs to be seen. Like <laughs> Those ears. Yeah, because like you need to see how special the ears he is. are incredible. Oh, oh my goodness. Them. He can do the podcast interview, Simon. Hi, <laughs> Simon. Really? This is how chill he is. He's just like, hey, what's up? And for for people who are listening who cannot see how cute Simon is, who, ha- who haven't seen a photo of him, like describe him to us. What kind of dog is he? Wow. Describe Simon. So Simon is um, a cattle dog, basset hound, super mutt, et cetera mix. He has very large ears. He is short and squat, which is my favorite body type for a dog. Um, that is another reason I knew he was mine is I've always wanted like a low rider. It's like my favorite body type for dogs. Um, he is sort of, he looks like a baby deer. Oh my God. Hi. That's a really cute dog. Oh my God. I, I needed her to meet Simon. He's literally just like, what are you doing to me? (laughs) He's really weird looking. Like it looks like he has a different head on his body. Um, I've always also loved a dog where it looks like all the parts are thrown together. So people like come up to us on the street and are like, what's happening here? Like, they'll just be like, what am I looking at? (laughs) Like, I I saw, I saw a cattle dog with his fur color. And so I was oh, like, yeah. oh, I'm definitely getting like a healer or cattle dog vibe. But then the ears are different. But then the face is different. Like, where, where did all this He's come from? Ridiculous. Like, I look at him a hundred times a day and I'm like, what are you? Like, what's happening? Okay, yes, you can. <laughs> yeah, Ruthie, Ruthie's mad at me because I made her walk in the rain this morning. So she's still getting, as you can see, still getting over that. If you literally look at my <laughs> It's like my literally my last tweet before this started was like my like my dog was mad he walked in the rain like it's my fault. Um, oh yeah, now he's on the bed. He literally just like sits here. All- yeah, I. So also the other reason I got a dog is because when I was working at home before I moved in with my parents, like I didn't leave the house. I literally just when I wasn't going to an office anymore, like I would wake up, I would work, I'd go to bed. 
And it wasn't healthy in any way, shape or form. My mental health, I mean, everyone's mental health, like March, April, 2020, like shocker, I wasn't having a great time. was definitely the worst it's been since I was like in my early 20s. And when I got my own apartment uh, in 2021, that was something, one of the reasons I wanted to start fostering right away was that I knew I needed an excuse to get me out of the house. And it's still like, I would work all day if I did not have this dog, but instead I take three little mental health walk day, you know, walks every day. And people joke about like yeah. hot girl walks. I'm like, this isn't hot. Like I'm like picking up my dog's poop. Like it's not hot, but like <laughs> I'm hot, like warm. Like <laughs> Yeah, there's a... I, I walked my really cute guy the other day and I had a poop bag uh, dangling off my, my leash because oh, there was no trash can. I was like, oh, well, <laughs> oh, always. here it is. This is what you get. <laughs> Although a guy yesterday at, at Central Park when I took Ruthie for her walk, I whistled calling her to come back and he thought I was whistling at him and he turned. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> I'm sorry. I'm whistling at my dog. <laughs> I don't think I realized that you're in New York. So now we're going to have to introduce our dogs. And we're, and we're very close too. So yeah. <laughs> oh, great. That's wonderful yeah. news. Um, to answer your earlier question, yes. I have never received more comments in my life than when I walk around with this dog. Any friend who's taken him out, my parents who have taken him out, like it's, I'm not trying to say my dog's like cuter than other dogs, but like he's definitely different looking than other mm-hmm. dogs. I get I get more responses with him than any foster I've ever had. My parents' dog, anything. It's crazy. See, I, I always wanted, well, okay. How do I say this? <laughs> my hope for my dog is that he would also be a dog that would bring other people great joy. And I think people will look at him and say, oh, he's really cute. He's beautiful. Some people say he's a little scary looking because he's got different colored eyes. I would not say that smudge brings strangers great joy. Because he's a little shy. And the other day, this old lady was like, you are beautiful. And he just screamed at her. <laughs> it does crack me up. So, uh, I'm just very kind, but he's not like an overly like, ah, like I'm going to lick a stranger. Like, you know, give him a minute. And when people meet him on the, so as you said, like he has an Instagram account and I do tweet about him like a disgusting amount. So I do get stopped on the street. People are like, is this Simon? Which, first of all, like, please, I hope I, as a human, like, never get recognized. But, like, you want to recognize my dog? Great. Um, I only want him to be famous. Like, that's enough. Um, and But, like, they'll put out, like, oh, little baby. And he's just like, mm-hmm. he's like, why? Yep. Please. Like, yep. What are you expecting of me? And then I'm like, I'm sorry. He's really friendly. Like, I never know what to say. They're expecting more. How, as far as like, since you got Simon, because you do tweet about him a lot, I, I feel like you and I probably can go head to head with how often we tweet about our dogs. <laughs> and pretty much my my social feed has been centered around Ruthie now. How yeah. has your following changed with the type of people who follow you? And how how do they engage with you differently now? Yeah, I mean, I've gained more Twitter followers since I got Simon than like the rest of the time combined. Or not even really just in Simon, but I do think fostering and posting about all of that sort of found me a different audience. Um, my audience is definite. Like, there are clearly people who are only following me to see Simon. And, like, that's cool. 
Um, but I, I always joke that if I were to ever publish a book or something, I would need to only photograph it with him because I could truly post like, hey, I just won a Pulitzer Prize and it would be like three likes. And I could post a blurry photo of him. That's the same photo I posted the day before and it's like 400 likes. So I'm aware it's cool. My genuine feeling is especially when it comes to Twitter, is there is so much negativity in this world and so much gross content. If I can put a little bit of positivity into the feed and make people see, you know, a cute picture that's going to bring them joy, I, I'm good. Follow me. Have a good time. Well, you, you had written an article for Spruce that touched on the, basically the animal internet craze that started happening during the pandemic and how all these accounts started bringing people joy. And that's something that Julia and I, I mean, that's part of the reason why we we ended up starting this podcast is because all we sent each other were cute animal videos. That's like all we did. (laughs) And then my whole Instagram feed turned into me just following animal accounts and I, I mean, it, it was such an interesting piece in terms of just like the psychology of, you know, how these accounts really helped people's mental health, even if they didn't have an animal, but they connected with a certain account where they just like dug the pug, as I know you interviewed uh, his owner as well. But like, they just oh, bring so much joy. I interviewed Noodle's owner, just to be clear. Oh, sorry, sorry. Noodle, Noodle, Noodle. Yeah, sorry. I don't want Doug the Pug's dad coming for me. Like, who is she? Yeah, sorry. Noodle, Noodle. We That's can edit that. the most delightful interview I've ever done. Like, tell me about bones or no bones. I was like, I'm interviewing George Clooney. Like, this is thrilling. Um, I can like, hear Noodle yelling at people on the street in the background of the call. <laughs> this is the best day of my life. Um, so yeah, I loved writing that piece about internet dog culture and about what these animals mean to us. So uh, a weird dichotomy I have sort of dealt with in wanting to like be taken seriously as a writer and as a person on the internet is, is this just all too silly? Like, is this like, are we all just looking like, oh, doggos? And I have completely decided to just shut up that part of my brain ever. Um, dogs bring people and animals in general bring people very real scientifically proven joy and anxiety relief and uh, educates children on compassion and, you know, uh, uh, responsibility skills. Like there are so many documented benefits of animals and this kind of thing before you even get into service dogs, which I could talk about forever and how talented they are. So Talking to people about the animals on the internet that help get them through hard times and hearing how genuine that is to those people, why would we ever discount this as silly or not important? It's extremely important. Speaking to people, I heard multiple people talk about Fiona the hippo in uh, at the Cincinnati Zoo, who's like, I mean, we, we love Fiona. Like the New York Times has written about Fiona. It's a real thing. And just about what Fiona meant to her. Um, during like doing her PhD, during all the stuff with Trump and what a comfort it was like seeing this premature hippo thrive in the Cincinnati Zoo. The world is a really dark place. Why would we ever discount that or think it's silly? So I love talking to mental health professionals about how real these things are, what these can really mean to us. And that's one of the reasons I like writing about pets is it's important to me. And I think more people should take it seriously and, and find it important. So I love writing that kind of piece where I can really say, hey, there's 
there's real legitimacy to what these accounts give us. And on a personal level, I, I started an account, you know, an Instagram account for Simon just because I didn't want to spam my friends with a million pictures and I, I wanted somewhere to put them. But some of the notes I've gotten for people, which I, I wrote about in a different Spruce piece, uh, just about people telling me, you know, my my pet died recently and looking at pictures of Simon has helped get me through it. Or my husband's, in, you know, getting chemo right now and I, I scroll through the feed while we're, you know, I'm in the waiting room for him. That's incredible. I, I truly just want to put positivity into a place that is so often negative. If if me posting a picture of a dog can give someone that much joy, why wouldn't I keep posting Simon? That feels like the least I could do. I love sharing him with people. It really brings me joy. And I feel like animals, just broadly speaking, cute animal photos, cute animal videos are like the one area where we can kind of put our differences aside and at least connect in a very um, genuine way with each other of just like loving something other than ourselves. There's just, I, I think that's like the one thing that it's like, okay, political different. There's Smudge, the neurotic. <laughs> he has his eyebrow. I love the eyebrow. I love that his name is Smudge. That's incredible. <laughs> we, uh, we stole that from Jeremy Irons. I read an interview with him in Vanity Fair, and he talked about going on these morning boat rides outside his Irish castle with his dog Smudge. And I was like, I want your entire life. So I can at least start with maybe my dog Smudge and then work up to the Irish <laughs> castle. Oh yeah, I'd I like actually to didn't know that. Irons part. I'd like to work to just be with Jeremy Irons, but oh my gosh, that's a good dream. <laughs> <laughs> oh Smudge. Oh yeah, he's a, he is. It's funny. Ruthie and Smudge are like very different dogs. Like if you ever have the chance to meet them in person together, they are. Ruthie tolerates him, I feel like. And Smudge, like, wants so badly to be her friend. (laughs) I really love what you said about dogs being, like, a thing where we just sort of, it's, like, the one thing sort of rid of politics and all this. Like, if she were to bring politics into my dog's account, like, oh, I, I literally just said that. But I also have, like, posted pictures of him on there with, like, reproductive rights stickers. And I'm like constantly looking to abortion funds in Simon's Instagram story. <laughs> but, but still, I mean, if people are just randomly scrolling and they run yeah. across a photo of him, like it, it's a, like, it, it, I think there's a one place where we can just all agree. This is cute. This is sweet. This is endearing. Totally. Um, and I mean, listen, my dog's full name is Ruthie Barker Ginsburg. So, you know, like... <laughs> I don't know how apolitical it is, but <laughs> yeah, my I do think. Like, oh, go ahead. I, I swear, I do think there are some you know aspects of doggy internet world that do get politicized, not necessarily in terms of like human or I'm not even gonna say human, like American political spectrum, and it's very limited definition. But like, I, I don't know, people get like nasty in some of the Australian Shepherd groups that I'm oh, a part of. Like, that's not a real Australian Shepherd, or. People in Europe don't like the tails being cut off and people in America don't like that the Europeans don't spay and neuter their dogs. And it's just like, there is some poo bag slinging that takes place in these doggy <laughs> communities as well. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm like, you have to, I know nothing about like purebred communities. I'm so I'm like, 
dog people would never. We would be saying that that tail is unique and beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in like a foster Facebook group for hearts and bones. And even though I haven't been able to follow for the last few months, I still like go through it because it's such a good resource of information and people's comments. I just, it's the most single, most wholesome place on the internet. People are like, hi, a small chihuahua that won't leave my bed. Like, what do we do? Like, it's just so... People are really just figuring stuff out. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, I, I, I've, most of the people are amazing. And I think what I do love is just as it relates to rescuing, that as soon as there's a dog posted from one of the various Australian Shepherd Rescue groups, like people mobilize, like donations. Or like we had this one horrible case recently where this dog was, I think, used as a bait dog, had been yeah. shot with a BB gun, hadn't had anything to eat in a while because his stomach had dirt and rocks in it and had to go into surgery. And like people were on that, like donations. He had a foster dad like immediately after. So in that respect, like I, I love those breeds specific communities. Like I feel like they're extra, you develop like a specific attachment to a type of dog. And then you see your own dog in everyone, even though they're totally different. And then people, um, they do mobilize when there are issues, but I got to say the tail versus no tail. <laughs> oh my God, I bet. And to be clear, sorry, I don't want anyone to think I'm like Katie. Not like we're, there are responsible breeders everywhere. Like, Oh I yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Rescues just to put that out there. Um, I think I'm so happy that New York is right now like passing a no sales in pet stores law, which Thank will God. help. Thank God. There it is makes one me of so places. angry. Yeah, it's There's that city pets house. thing. I went after them on Smudge's Instagram hard last year after a bunch of puppies from their diet of parvo. Ugh. I was just like, why is this place even in business? Like the fact that we have dogs and cats in a window facing the street is just like, it's unbelievable. And they're too young. They should not yep. be available for sale yet. They are from puppy mills. It's so hurtful. But yeah, they're, they're yeah, owned I by Amish it. people in Pennsylvania. And oh. yes, you can hold me to saying that because the Amish in the US are the, some of the biggest uh, puppy mill owners in Indiana and Pennsylvania. So if you get a dog from either one of those states, in all likelihood, it came from an Amish puppy mill. I stopped buying oh Amish God. like eggs and furniture and all that stuff a long time ago. I There's actually a really interesting podcast that uh, it's called Kingpin Puppy Mill. I don't know if you've listened to it yet, but it's basically about this. Uh, uh, it, I, it, they just wrapped up the series, but um, this uh, Alex Schumann is his name, who's a journalist, investigative reporter that dives deep into the puppy mill world, in particular one puppy mill and how they were basically selling these dogs saying they were rescues to puppy mills so that they could say that they were rescues to people who wanted to get a rescue dog. And these people were paying hundreds of dollars for rescues, not realizing that these dogs were coming from horrible conditions where, I mean, there was one place where they shut down this woman's, uh, I guess, breeding farm, essentially, where she had over 300 dogs. Three, like, and they were basically in their own feces. And so, like, I mean, from, like, they're definitely from a activist type of position in, like, the animal world. There are people who obviously, like, and they, they actually talk about how the it had gotten politicized in the dog breeding world where they didn't want to be monitored or controlled. And they're like, we should be able to do things the way that we want. Who are you to say how we do things? Um 
so there was definitely, I mean, I guess from like that perspective, there's politicization within yeah. the animal space. For sure. And I mean, like euthanasia laws, I'm by no mean an expert in that, but states have very, very different policies on what happens to, you know, unhomed animals. So there, yeah, well, you, I mean, you're talking about your 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 one article that you wrote for Laura on dying pet fur too, and how that's kind of become a hot topic for some people of, of whether you should do that or not. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I was joking with someone the other day that my favorite kind of piece is one where I write it, and at the end, I'm like, "Can we all just use common sense about this?" K, thanks. <laughs> um, I feel like that was a great example of look. Yes, there are safe ways, technically speaking, to do this and really unsafe ways you shouldn't do. But at the end of the day, you as a pet owner need to make judgment calls about what is causing your pet distress. So if your pet doesn't mind baths and you use food dye or coloring that they can't ingest to, you know, to harm them, that can't hurt them, and your dog doesn't mind, like, okay, fine, dye your dog. If your dog's freaking out, don't do that. And I, I feel like there's so many, I mean, no one on the internet understands nuance. That's like the biggest issue of any yeah. platform. But I do feel like when it comes to dog things, and you know, I've seen this like in my comments, if I put like a funny shirt on him, someone will be like, your dog hates that. Like, why would you do that? I'm like, okay, my dog wore the shirt for three minutes in my air-conditioned apartment. He received copious amounts of treats, and he didn't look like he cared. So, like, I don't think I'm abusing my dog because he wore a shirt for a picture for three minutes. Like, so I, I, I'm a big believer in anything with this where it's like, can we just all use common sense? <laughs> I sometimes wonder – I. I Ruthie has two very distinct looks. One where she just looks perpetually annoyed and then really, really happy. So like most of the time when I put her in something, she I think she's just like, okay, I'm tolerating this because I interpret it as just like tolerating me. Not that she's uncomfortable, not that she she hates me, but more like I'm doing this because I know it'll make you happy. And I'm just going to accept this right now. And, and totally. I better get something out of it. <laughs> also, like, they're not dumb. Like he has picked up that if I take an item of clothing out, he's going to get more treats than he ever receives because I feel bad. <laughs> so it's like, this is in his interest. And I, I think he picked up on that pretty early. Julia, have you dressed Smudge up? I can't, I know he's been in some cute bandanas. We, yeah, just do the bandanas, and then he has a bathrobe that he wears when he gets wet because he has so much fur. It's really cute. It's one of these, like, quick-try things, and so we pull it over his head, and then it's got a little tie. It ties up on his back. He looks—it's really funny. I'll just email you a photo of it. Um, he doesn't hate it. Like, I think he's kind of like, why am I wearing this? But he's, like—he love he's a diva. He likes to snuggle. He loves blankets and rolling in them, and so— I think he doesn't mind his terry cloth uh, bathrobe, but um, when it's really cold in the winter, we'll put a sweater on him. In reality, he doesn't need it if we're outside for a short amount of time, but I like it just to help keep the snow balls from clumping on his fur because those yeah. are really hard to get off. Some of them did give me a tip, which is to use a kitchen whisk. So if anybody's listening and they have a dog with long fur and you get those little like fur clots, yeah, you like whisk them off the dog's fur. That was a game changer in this house. <laughs> I haven't missed you. 
It's like, what? <laughs> Oh my god! Has like a winter look. Like he actually does shiver in the winter. Um, so like he he needs a jacket in sort of weather. But he doesn't like ever go out of the house with clothes. I just have this little shtick going on on his Instagram where I dress him in an item of clothing and then write a male persona that would accompany. Yeah, it's always like a shitty male persona. Um, and (laughs) I truly am just cracking myself up at this point. Like I do it. I'm like, this is hilarious. And hey, you know what? You might have started like a trend. Like who knows? Maybe that, you know, will start trending, which is actually a good segue because something I really wanted to ask you about, you know, you're so plugged into the animal space, especially the animal space as it relates to millennials and like millennial dog moms. What kind of trends are you seeing right now, you know, on the internet, you know, with with pet ownership, dog owners, et cetera? That's a great question um two things just like more discussions that I've seen going on um that are dog related one is okay so I just got on TikTok like I'm I just turned 33 I am a social media professional but I just learned TikTok and now I'm addicted like I have a problem I can't stop this is why I never wanted to go on it in the first place um but half of TikTok is Gen Z making fun of millennials, which I, I can't stop watching these videos. I think they're so funny. Um, it's a little, so, and one of the reasons I bring this up is because they are obsessed with saying millennials use the word doggo. Like that is the thing that apparently millennials do that like drives Gen Z crazies. You're just like, I'm going to brunch with my doggo. I'm like, all right. I mean, I know I just used the word as an internet example a minute ago, but like, who is literally running around, like referring to their dog as Doggo? Like, that's not a thing. Um, So I have found that conversation really interesting. Um, And just like Gen Z making fun of us in general, really funny. Um, The other one, which is a conversation I'm passionate about, and this is more of a Twitter conversation, is how like, if you want to make friends, get a dog. And this is something I don't think we talk about enough. So as I said, I'm a 33-year-old woman, not married, do not have kids. I have more friends than I know what to do with. And half of them are because of Simon. Because we just all hang out all the time with our dogs and see each other every day at the dog park. I have an entire group of friends. And every one of us, well, one has a cat. We still love the cat. Bash, he's great. But everyone has a dog. We're ridiculous. And we're all in it together. And we just buy each other gifts for our dogs and all this stuff. And so I I do think that as we deal trend-wise with like a social isolation crisis and all these things going on in terms of like the loneliness epidemic, especially among younger generations, talking about animals as a means of connecting us and a ways of helping us socialize um, is a conversation I'm really interested in. Yeah, I feel like my social circle has, and I I thought about this the other day, not even just from like going to the dog park and the friends that I've made at the park who's, you know, I consider them my friends, but I honestly, I just know their dogs' names. <laughs> oh, oh, I have those people. Who are you? No. <laughs> but, um, but even just like the, she's, Ruthie has expanded my social circle in the sense of like random people coming up to me, talking to me and asking questions about her that then, will evolve into a bigger conversation. And then before you know it, I'm hanging out with this person because all because they saw Ruthie. Um, And I feel like she's just opened me up more to having those connections with people again that otherwise I would have been like, why are you talking to me? I do not 
want to have a conversation with you, but she just kind of forces that door, that door open. And it's been, it's been really beautiful and fulfilling for me as someone who's, I don't know, like I'm originally from Oklahoma where we are very, I would say like that Midwestern Southern, like, oh, we're going to hug even though we just met. And I don't know if New York turned me a little bit away from that, (laughs) but she's kind of gotten me back to my Midwestern roots in that, in that respect. I love that. I think about that a lot. I I live on the Upper West Side, which is a very like neighborhoody place, a very like community driven neighborhood. And I have just met so many people around here, even like other like dog walkers who like I know their names because like I see them out every day when I'm with Simon. And just talking to people, I, I work from home alone. I, as I said, like I freelance, and so there really are days where I'm just head down to my apartment working the whole day, but I'll the whole day. But I'll remember that I've had like 15 conversations with different people. I'm still mm-hmm. getting out. And I, look, I'm, I'm pretty extroverted. Like I'm a Leo. I'm already one of those people. And I can't believe how easy working from home and with the pandemic it was to just become so insular and realize I hadn't talked to a person not on Zoom for a couple of days. And that's just impossible with Simon um, in a way that yeah. I, I really can't imagine going back. Well, we are going to wrap up this interview with some very hard-hitting questions for you. And I feel like as a journalist, you should be able to handle this. <laughs> I do. Can I, sorry, before we do that, I'm very excited for that. But at some point, can I, I just want to make sure to get a mention in for the newsletter that I'm soon going to be. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, we definitely should. Yes, please, please. Um, so I should add that I have been writing about dogs more, but... Uh, a project, when I said or said, I like manifested this by putting it in the internet. Um, this amazing place, Dame uh, Magazine, who I've written for freelance um, in the past, I actually wrote for them earlier in the year about when the Pope said something about like pets not really being people's children and like people are just getting pets instead of having kids. And I took that very poorly. So I wrote about that for them and they're launching a dog newsletter called the Companion Chronicles. We're going to be launching at the end of this month. And we're interviewing really amazing people, um, like celebrities and writers, about their dogs and what their dogs mean to them. Uh, We do have a few cat issues, guest issues, so pets in general. But we're really excited to launch the Companion Chronicles. And that has just been a true treat to talk to people like Soledad O'Brien and Roxanne Gay and all these people who I respect so much professionally. Just to hear them coo about how much they love their animals has been such a fun experience. And I'm just, I can't wait for that to be in the world. Well, that's actually how I discovered you was, I think there, you, like your, one of your tweets about that newsletter came across my feed and I was like, oh, what's this? I definitely should make sure that I get this newsletter. And then I started following you. And then, then I was like, Julie, we have to talk to this person. We have to talk to Sophie. (laughs) It's just like, it's such a great example though, of how like pets are the great equalizer. And I I think that's really what we wanted with this was these people get asked challenging questions all the time. I want to know what your pet's memoir would be titled. Like, tell me something ridiculous. (laughs) I love that. Well, we're going to ask you very similar questions right now. Can't wait. (laughs) So if you're, if Simon could commit a crime and get away with it, what crime would he commit? Oh, he, ooh, 
it would definitely have, it would definitely be something at the dog park. Like he would just get like a little too feisty. Simon's a big player. He's, um, he, he barks a lot. So he might get like a noise ordinance from the city for his dog park behavior. He's silent <laughs> at home and a maniac at the dog park. So I think he might, <laughs> someone might hear him barking and he might get like a citation. <laughs> If Simon could name you, what do you think he would name you? My God, I hope mom. <laughs> that would be my name. Probably like nice lady who gives me food. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope he thinks I'm his mom. As someone who like doesn't know if I want children, I'm like, no, like I'm, I'm your mother. Like I'm your mom, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. If there was a celebrity that most... Uh, embodies Simon, which celebrity do you think is most like Simon? This is a question I have asked on my Instagram and the answers were so all over the place. I was dying. Um, Paul Rudd actually was one that came up quite a lot. And I like that one. I think it fits. So I think the comment, I'm like pointing him on my bed. I'm like, he's right here. He is a combination of an old man and a little boy. And that's what you have to understand about him. Um, and so Paul Rudd is like aging backwards. So I do think that he makes sense for that. Like a weird Benjamin Button moment. <laughs> well, Sophie, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. I We're going to have to put get together so Ruthie and Simon can have a play date and, um, you know, let us know too when the newsletter launches officially and we'll make sure to plug it to everyone. Thanks so much. This was really fun. Julia, where are you based? Uh, I'm also in the city. I'm in Long Island City in Queens. So like very, very close. Smudge is not like the subway, but he's all about the ferry and um, he likes to drive into Manhattan. So the new surge, you know, pricing that's coming up, he's really excited about that. That that would probably actually be what Simon gets in trouble for, which is riding the subway not in a bag because he does it quite a bit, quite a bit. (laughs) See, that's a a well-adjusted New York dog. (laughs) He sits there. It's one of his favorite places in the world. He absolutely loves it. He sits and he's just like, hey, hey, everyone. Yeah, Ruthie loves riding in the subway too. She gets a lot of pets, a lot of uh, a lot of oohs and ahs, as if she doesn't get enough of them. I'm really excited to meet both of the other dogs. Yes, Yes, yeah, definitely. We'll we'll set the time to to do something, especially now that hopefully the weather is not going to be 100 degrees again. We can be outside. Yeah, that's been rough for them. No pun intended. (laughs) So. You know, what I love is when you, and look, we have a whole spectrum of guests who come on the show. We've got people whose personalities are totally different from their animals and their online identities. And then we have people who like, they really are what you experience on the internet. And it was so exciting to meet Sophie and just feel like her voice and just the way that she delivers her stories and her style of storytelling is just so similar to how we've experienced her writing. And of course, Simon's Instagram feed. I thought that was really fun. Yeah, she, you can definitely tell she's a storyteller. Like that's definitely a gift, a natural gift for her. And like the the way that she describes Simon, I feel like is a way that I have connected to him through her social media posts on him. Like it feels very genuine to who, to who he is. Um, but, you know, I think 
it, I think the pet journalism space is interesting because it has definitely grown quite a bit. Like as, as, as I was doing research around her and this interview, I just came across so many different pet websites that have popped up over the last couple of years that are dedicated to covering the animal world because people are so engrossed in that space now and want to know about it. And there's so many different trends and conversations and discussions that are happening around animals. And it's really cool that she's transitioned into that space and has contributed a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting pieces um, in the animal world. And I like that. I think a part of her message and she did a good job of calling this out directly with the whole thing that like dumb comment that the Pope made, but in bringing animals into our lives does not mean that we are suddenly excluding people from them. And in fact, that introducing an animal to your life is a way of broadening your community and developing new types of bonds and relationships with other people. And sometimes I feel like, and unfortunately, especially when it comes to women and women our age, it's like, oh, you're choosing like, you know, a pet or a child or like a pet or a family when in reality, you know, these, these animals are a way for us to connect with people in new and very meaningful ways. And, um, you know, for some people who may not want to have a traditional type of family, you know, you can build these other types of familial bonds with people through your animal. I feel like there's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie plot buried in there somewhere. Well, I will say one thing that Ruthie has done for me that I don't expect would happen otherwise. I feel like people are way nicer to me because of Ruthie. (laughs) Where, like, I probably have neighbors in my building that probably don't like me, but they know I have Ruthie and they're really nice to her and then tolerate me as a result. (laughs) Same. Nobody ever spoke to me in the elevator until we got a dog. And now they don't talk to us because they know that our dog's crazy. But um, (laughs) at least for a little while, suddenly people were really friendly. You got to experience a little bit of (laughs) some nice New Yorkers for just like a hot minute. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Well, everyone, make sure that you uh, subscribe to their newsletter, The Companion Chronicles. Uh, Follow her on Twitter, Sophie Vershbo. Her dog's Instagram account is Upper West Simon. And as always, thank you for tuning in. Rate us, follow us on Spotify and iTunes, follow us on socials. And if you want to support us on Patreon, please do so we can bring you more animal content and we shall see you next time.